This is Dr. Samantha Shapiro, Executive Editor of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Harrison's Pod Class is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Harrison's Pod Class. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Handy. And I'm Dr. Charlie Weiner, and we're joining you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 120. Uh, today's patient is a 33-year-old with dyspnea on exertion. Kathy, today's patient is a 33-year-old woman who's been reporting six months of worsening dyspnea on exertion. She lives in a three-story house and has recently noticed that when going from the basement to the top floor, she now has to rest at least two to three times. This was not true last year. She's had no fever, night sweats, or weight change. She thought these symptoms were because she's out of shape, but now she's getting worried because they seem to be getting worse. Her past medical history is unremarkable. Her only medication is an oral contraceptive. She drinks beer on the weekends, and she smoked one to two packs a day for about 10 years, but she stopped two years ago and now vapes. She has a strong family history of emphysema and COPD, including in two of her brothers. On physical examination, she's relatively normal, including a resting air, room air saturation of 97%. Her lungs are clear, her heart has no jugular venous distension, she has no murmurs, but she does have an accentuated pulmonic component of her second heart sound. She does not have jugular venous dilation or peripheral edema. Let me stop here and let's get some of your initial thoughts. Well, first, I agree with her. Worsening dyspnea on exertion is often a hallmark of cardiopulmonary disease, so we should not write it off. And I also noted the loud P2, which can suggest pulmonary vascular disease. She has a pretty impressive smoking history, and she's taking oral contraceptives. Um, It really doesn't sound like asthma, but the strong family history of COPD also has my attention. And you didn't mention any congenital heart or lung disease that might be relevant in this um, young woman. I would like to at least get some basic laboratory examinations. I also want to make sure she's not anemic, her liver function's not impaired. And then um, basic testing, including a a chest x-ray, she should have PFTs and an echocardiogram. Okay. Uh, Well, her chemistries, including her liver function, are normal, as is her CBC. Her chest x-ray does not show any hyperinflation or infiltrates, but her right pulmonary artery does appear to be dilated. Her PFTs show no obstructive ventilatory defect or restrictive ventilatory defect, but her DLCO is moderately reduced. An echocardiogram shows a small left ventricle with a normal left atrium. She has a moderate right ventricular hypertrophy and an estimated right ventricular systolic pressure of 40. There are some features that are suggestive of pulmonary hypertension. So in any patient with suspected pulmonary hypertension, it's vital that you include the bubble study as part of the echo to look for an intracardiac shunt. And since she's normoxic at rest, we're thinking of a left to right shunt from an ASD or VSD, right? Yeah. And as we've discussed, that can lead to eventual pulmonary arterial hypertension. But these studies have made disorders that could cause these indolent symptoms, such as COPD, liver disease, renal disease, and anemia all less likely. The echo is leading us to think more about pulmonary hypertension. Okay, before we move on, let's uh, quickly go through the classification of pulmonary hypertension and because uh, that's going to help with the differential diagnosis, I think. All right, so type 1 pulmonary hypertension is pulmonary arterial hypertension. 
That's characterized by marked pulmonary arterial precapillary remodeling. Type 1 can also be associated with congenital heart disease with intracardiac shunt, connective tissue disease, portal hypertension, and HIV. Type 2 is pulmonary hypertension due to left heart disease. Type 3 is due to parenchymal lung disease, such as emphysema or pulmonary fibrosis. Type 4 is chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And type 5 is just about everything else. So that can include hematologic disorders like sickle cell, can include sarcoidosis, renal dialysis, schistosomiasis, and fibrosing mediastinitis. Okay, for this question, let's assume that the bubble study is negative. There's no intracardiac shunts. The question's asking, which of the following is the most likely cause of her pulmonary hypertension? Option A is asthma. Option B is chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. Option C is heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Option D is heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. And option E is scleroderma. Let's take a step back for a moment because this case illustrates the important point that it's often hard to diagnose pulmonary hypertension unless you're thinking about it. The presentation is typical in that her symptoms were very indolent and there was nothing obvious on physical exam. People tend to write off symptoms such as dyspnea on exertion and fatigue, which are the earliest symptoms. But once the pulmonary hypertension is advanced, you get things like jugular venous distension, peripheral edema, or syncope. I do credit the examiner for hearing the accentuated P2, which is typically found. So which of the choices do you think is going on in our patient? Well, the best answer you've given me, although not common, is chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension or type 4. Why is that? First, remember that the most common causes of pulmonary hypertension overall are either type 2, which is the secondary to left heart disease, or type 3, which is um, secondary to primary lung disease. So in this case, the echo is key because with a normal left atrial size, it's highly unlikely that her pulmonary hypertension was due to heart failure with either reduced or preserved ejection fraction. So we can eliminate those two options um, from the answer choices. Both of those would have led to a dilated left atrium. The negative chest x-ray spirometry and lung volumes also rules out type 3 due to primary lung disease. But what about she had a reduced DLCO? That's often typical in type 1 and type 4 pulmonary hypertension, and it's likely due to the reduced blood volume in the lung. That can be another tip-off in a patient with symptoms. And I'm assuming that you're ruling out asthma scleroderma from the history and the physical exam. Yeah, asthma should be episodic and provoked by things like allergens or a cold, and she really has nothing on exam or history consistent with scleroderma. Okay, then let's talk a little bit about chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension or type 4. The development of pulmonary hypertension after chronic thromboembolic obstruction of the pulmonary arteries is termed CTAF. It's well described and now carries its own type, number four, as I mentioned before. So the incidence following a single pulmonary embolic event is difficult to determine accurately, but it's probably between three and 7% of patients. Importantly, 25% of patients with CTAF have no history of clinical venous thromboembolism. So it suggests that this may develop following a subclinical pulmonary embolism or through a diverse range of mechanisms. But it's important to distinguish CTAF from type 1 or pulmonary arterial hypertension because the best treatment is surgery at an experienced center. And how would you distinguish between type 1 and type 4? The echo in this patient could have been either, right? Yeah, you need either a high-quality contrast CT scan or pulmonary angiogram, but traditionally the gold standard is a VQ scan. 
In CTAF, there is segmental perfusion defects, whereas in type 1 pulmonary hypertension, you'll not have these defects. Great. Well, the teaching points in this case are that pulmonary hypertension remains a diagnostic challenge as it can afflict a wide array of people and present with indolent, nonspecific symptoms. It's usually detected on an echocardiogram, which is also helpful in ruling out some of the causes. Chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension, or type 4, presents similarly to type 1 or pulmonary arterial hypertension and can be distinguished with a VQ scan. And to learn more about this, you can read on in the chapter on pulmonary hypertension. Thanks for listening to Harrison's Pod Class. You can listen to this episode and more on accessmedicine.com, which includes the complete Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine text, Harrison's Review Questions, which complement and expand upon the questions in this episode, and much more. Accessmedicine.com may already be available to you via your academic institution. Check it out.